0: Hello, and welcome to Talk Me To Death. My name is Amanda. I'm here with my co-host, Andrew. And today we are very excited to have two guests with us. Joanne Hahn and Karen Hendrickson, founders of the Deaf Doula Network of BC, which is incredible. I'm so excited about this. So ladies, would you please give us a little bit of information on what your background is, how you came to found this organization, just sort of generally
1: how you ended up where you are? Okay, well, I'll start. Back in 2017, I did a telephone meditation with uh a medium, if you will, over, over the phone. I was living in Nelson at the time, and it was um, time for me to make a career switch. Anyway, she was going through a bunch of questions, and out of the blue, she said to me, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I want you to write this down, and she gave me the words "death doula, and I'd never heard of that before, so on we go, on we go. After um, I finished that little session, I sent a note to my friend Karen here. It said, have you ever heard of this before?" <laughs> you know, check this out. I also shared that with my other friend, Jan, And uh, within, I'm going to say within a week of that, I started getting emails from both of them with reference sites to check this out. Death doula does this and it does that. And and uh, Karen found a course that was coming from Vancouver to Kelowna. And uh, it was death doula training put on by Douglas College. And she said, you know what, you might want to look into this. And that That um, program was being run in March of 2018. So fast forward in January 2018, my friend Jan, uh, she's a mentor and a very close friend of mine, was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Uh, She was down in Arizona at the time and said, I'm coming home. I'm going to leave my husband down here. I'm going to come home and figure out what I'm going to do. So I packed up my office from Nelson came to Kelowna to hang out with her and, and another friend of ours. And we got to be with her through her journey with with the cancer. She declined quite rapidly. And in March of 2018, when this program was being put on by Douglas, I was here while she was dying. So it was, it was incredible because I was learning about what I just lived from January, February, and now up to March. And my friend had, had been aware of this program. She says, when, when you've done your class every day, I want you to come here, and I want you to tell me what you've learned. Um, so that, uh, that class ended on, uh, I think it was March the 8th, 2018, I believe. And on the, the 9th of March, my friend ended her life medically assisted. So it was just, talk about serendipity. Like I, you mm-hmm. know, I believe there's no coincidences. So through that whole process, it became clear to me that that this helping people, especially at the end of of life, is a passion. And um, I I made a promise to her to keep doing the work. And then I, you know, of course, my friend Karen here was. Well, now she's into it too. <laughs> <laughs> what an
0: incredible story.
1: May I ask what your background was before? My background is uh, I was an insurance adjuster. So typically I would help people when they've lost their house or their business Mm. through fires or floods and all of that good stuff that's going on now. So when you think about that, that really is a type of a death, right? They've lost their home. They've lost all of their possessions, like those poor people out in Merritt and the ones up in, in... and the fire region, right? They've lost everything. So they go through those same five or six phases, if you will, of death, the grief, the denial, the anger, and all of those things. So those skills actually transfer over quite nicely to the end of life. It's just a little bit different Mm -hmm. because you're dealing with people now as as opposed to property.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Wow, that is so cool. Thank you Mm -hmm. so much.
2: Yeah, thanks for sharing that.
0: Thank you. How about yourself, Karen? What's your backstory?
3: Well, so the the really quick backstory is I spent 35 years in the insurance industry as an HR professional. And it took me three tries to actually leave that industry. And I was on my third go round when Joanne was going through this process of learning about uh, the death doula role in work and doing the work. And that, that was in March of 2018. In September of 2018, I left the insurance industry for the last and final time uh, with an intention that I would um, have my own independent coaching practice. So as as an HR professional, I'd been doing a lot of coaching throughout my career. And it was an area of work that I felt very passionate about and supporting others in in discovering themselves and, and what mattered most to them. And I was finding in my independent work that Through those coaching clients, often what was coming up was issues around loss and grief that would often be the barriers of many different things. And so as I was witnessing and hearing Joanne talk about the experiences and her learning, I was recognizing that there really is a strong alignment here with respect to the work that I was doing. And so in the fall of 2018, I took the course from Douglas College and and embedded that into my coaching practice um, and started trying to mull things over as to how we could we could really make an impact in the world together. And so in January of 2018, Joanne and I began to try and do some work together in the way of community education, uh, where we could, recognizing that she's in Kelowna, BC, and I'm down here in Maple Ridge, the lower mainland, right? So how could we do this? And so that we just said, okay, let's just take a deep breath and figure this out as we go, right, Jo? yeah we did and uh, and so then you know we started doing some local community info sessions free info sessions through senior centers or community groups uh we did a couple together in each of our regions and then we started doing them independently on our own because of of logistics of doing that and um yeah so we spent what did we spend a year and a bit i guess right cuz yeah in 2020 so then, you know, we recognized that we were both very passionate about this work and how they really could not only, you know, helping people to get comfortable around end of life and end of life planning will actually help them to really show up a little more fully, right, and authentically in their life today. And so this is real, this is the great Mary for me as a coach,
4: mm-hmm. in
3: that, you know, accepting our mortality actually calls us to live live more fully in our lives. And uh, so we were doing our own thing in our own uh, regions. I had started doing some, I had partnered with Willow End of Life, which is an organization out of Vancouver here, and had started doing a a couple in-person reality of our mortality workshops in early 2020, January and February. I was all ready to roll with my March session and they shut the world down. And so then Joanne and I were like, well, what do we do now? And um, that was mid-March. That was the 18th of March, I think, was the actual date. And by the 4th of April, Joanne and I had figured out how to use Zoom, how to create an audience, and how to utilize the Death Deck, which was um, the creators of the Death Deck, which is a conversation tool. We had only just met them at the end of February. And by April 4th, we were running our very first online interactive death conversation game. And we figured what a great way for us to try and see what we could do together, which was something we'd always hoped we could do collectively. Yeah. And, um, well, here we are. Amazing. That's wonderful. And that's how it
0: started. And so where did the Deaf Doula Network come in all of this?
1: Well, that was a little brainstorm that we had because Karen and I were always being contacted by up-and-coming doulas saying, hey, you know what? We've We've taken this course we've learnt this we've learned that and now what do we do we don't know where to go for further education we don't know how to reach out and find a community of people of like-minded people that are there for help and support so karen and i did a little bit of research couldn't find anything within canada so we figured build it and they will come so on august the 10th of 2020 uh, we said, okay, we're going to launch this thing called the Deaf Doula Network of BC and let's see what happens. Yeah. So, we wanted to hit the keywords in the name, right? We wanted Deaf Doula and we wanted BC. And Karen and I both believe very strongly in the power of community. Mm-hmm. So, network had to be in there. Mm-hmm. So, we put them all in there and figured if somebody's going to do a Google, then they're mm-hmm. going to find us.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, here we are in what is this November of 2021 and we have 160 some odd members yeah. mm. uh, in six different countries. Yeah. Wow. Like, how cool is that? That's yeah. amazing. amazing. I love yeah. it.
3: I love yeah. it. Yeah. It it really is actually one of, you know, one of the blessings from COVID because truthfully, we would have never ran our first online Zoom death conversation game on April 4th which we kept running them weekly for a bit there. And then we actually got invited to do a four-part series with Reimagine that was doing a global death and dying summit in July of that year. And the following just kept growing and growing. And that's why that was the catalyst to us actually launching DDNBC and knowing that the time was right to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But we wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for COVID. We Mm -hmm. would still have been doing our own thing in community. And we we are still doing some of our own stuff in local community, But this network has become such a strong catalyst for so many death doulas Mm -hmm. who've been trying to move forward and create, you know, viability and livelihood from this work despite COVID or learning how to do that. I mean, some of the stories that have come out of our network members has been pretty phenomenal in relation to us simply opening up and holding ourselves out as the container where people can come together and build connection and learn right and and start to bring this voice more strongly into community their local community yeah.
4: hmm.
0: there's yeah. so many things about this about this story of yours that i love because andrew and i talk about things like this all the time mm-hmm. and you know the, the the concept of community and serendipity and everything being perfect you know everything happening for a reason and the idea that you know accepting that death is an inevitable reality brings you closer to life and and all of those points that you've hit are things that we've talked about i don't even Mm. know i don't even know how many times yeah in other contexts and i love Mm. that it's coming back around to this as well i I just think that's so so fantastic
2: yeah yeah well and i mean it comes up in our conversation i would say because you know it's it's uh it's like like you were saying earlier it's i mean Dealing with insurance claims is a form of death, you know, it's the death of your stuff, death of your house. And, and I mean, uh, you know, ending relationships is the death of an idea. So they're always dying throughout. And then this is one of the reasons we do this podcast is because this is obviously the, the dirty little secret that everybody knows about. For some reason we want to bring the light to, so why we do this and so appreciate this because uh, death is definitely inevitability so with lots of things so yeah it's uh it's really it's really cool so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah
0: would you be able to elaborate for um those folks listening a little bit about what a deaf doula actually is what does that role look like and i'm sure it varies practitioner to practitioner but f- from your experience how how if you had to explain it to someone how would you explain it
2: yeah i'll, I'll say for me uh, amanda is a, a nurse and so doula and i i'm just a kind of a everyday guy. I have, I've known doula to be just as, uh, related to, um, uh, birth, like a birthing doula. So yeah, I'm, I'm an idiot. Explain it to me as if uh, I don't know. So (laughs) I came in a little bit blind. So
1: the birth doula helps babies come Mm -hmm. in Mm. and they support the mom and the family Sure. and the death doula help the people go out Mm. and we support the client and the family. So a deaf doula, doula, the word doula is Greek for in-service. And a deaf doula, we are non-judgmental. We are not medical. We are not legal. Mm -hmm. We educate, advocate, and empower our clients. We start courageous conversations. We give them resources, local resources within the community Mm -hmm. that they can tap into and direct them to. We do the educational piece, which not everybody does. Uh, Some of us do vigil, some do counseling. What else do we do, Karen?
3: There's such a vast array, right? So when Mm -hmm. people hear death doula, they have a vision that it's the person, you know, in that role. You maybe show up for holistic support in the final days or final hours. And actually our best desire is that we're involved with uh, an individual and their people long before. The Mm -hmm. event occurs because planning and preparation is critical to ensuring that an individual can have choice and options, know what they uh, have a right to, uh, what they can choose, as opposed to feeling that everything's being controlled and dictated to them. You know, the the sooner we help them to know and be aware of options, how to navigate the healthcare system, that's a big one today. You know, our healthcare system is so taxed and so under resourced that oftentimes there isn't even enough conversation that happens between caregivers and patient for them to get questions answered let alone for them to be aware of services that are actually available to them you know things as simple as not even knowing that if you're get, receiving home palliative care that at there is a point when you actually have eligibility to have a a hospital bed in the home having nobody share these opportunities or these Potential care aids that are available to you, this is what's happening in some of our environments right now, and so, as doulas we can help them to navigate and prepare for those health team visits so that they have their questions and know what to ask and and can get the things that they need and be self advocates or their representative can better advocate for them. We do that kind of work, we help people with advanced care planning uh, around care and comfort measures what they would wish for, and our real intention is really to support people so that they and their people or their family, however they define that, actually can experience a fitting death, whatever that is for them, right? Mm
4: -hmm. And,
3: you know, sometimes it's about, yeah, we help them to identify what their best wishes are, but also recognizing that best wishes can't always be completely fulfilled. But if we have some clarity on who and what matters most to us at end of life and what we want that experience to look at, Look like, pardon me, and we have the courage to step into the courageous conversations with our people to help them to not only know yeah. what's important to us, but why it is important, then we can all have a better experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Absolutely. And actually come to what we like to refer to as a good death. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it is possible. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do you feel? like you've been received in this role? I mean, I, I imagine, again, there's probably a huge variety, but death can be such a touchy topic and people you know, seem to have this innate terror that somehow talking about it will
1: bring it closer. How, how has that been for you? You know, people, exactly, Amanda, people think if you talk about death, it's going to happen right away. <laughs> and, and I always, I, usually at a lot of workshops, I'll say to people, you know, I talk about winning the lottery it hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. so you can talk about death and dying doesn't mean you're going to die right away mm-hmm. and the more that we talk about it i believe and karen believes the more we become comfortable with the uncomfortable mm-hmm. and the more comfortable you become the more open you are to having these conversations with other people yeah so i did a workshop last night where um a group came together and, you know, I started out with, how are you feeling right now, knowing that we're going to be talking about death and dying? And one of the participants in the, in the chat went, death is a real trigger for me. I'm having a real hard time with this. Mm. At the end of the workshop, she was one of the most talkative people ever. And, you know, it, it, the transformation just over Zoom was incredible, mm-hmm. you know, that she found this, this uh, container where we could talk about it in a safe way. And you know it was it was really neat. So we're we're beginning to be, I think, recognized a little bit more, mm-hmm. and approached by a lot more people. We're getting um, a lot of questions lately, and I'm I'm interested in becoming a doula. Where should I Where should I start? What do you guys do? Will you come up and talk to us? Mm-hmm. And that's that's wonderful. That's what we've been trying for for three years. We're starting to make a little bit of headway in with the health authorities that's wonderful
3: i I think there's an interesting piece there uh, from your question amanda around how are we received so when we first stepped into this work we called ourselves end-of-life doulas Mm. right and and in this space you will see that some use end-of-life doulas and some use death doula we made a conscious decision over a year ago to call ourselves death doulas and that was intentional because to be we wanted to shock people, mm. not from the perspective of, of the fear, but to have the fear be right in front of us so that we were in a position to be able to say that is exactly why we do this work, right? Because none of us should fear it. Right. It's a reality of life. It's going to happen to all of us. Mm-hmm. So how do we embrace that and use that, right, for our living today? Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, I mean, there will be occasions where you'll meet people. And, you know, the question always is, oh, what do you do? And I, I say I'm a coach in life, death and all the messy in between. That's, what say. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? that's a great title. Um, you know, uh, and I'm a death doula. And the, you can see, like you just see on their face. And I'll say, that's exactly why I do this work. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. we shouldn't be shocked or afraid of it. Yeah.
4: yeah. And
3: then they get curious right? And so they might ask a question or two, and then that might be the end of it. And then time might go by. And next thing you know, they're somehow in front of you again, asking more questions, learning more about it, right? Mm-hmm. COVID has certainly, and the restrictions that have, you know, that oh, have occurred and are still occurring with respect to access, right, in and facilities and, and those types of things are really calling people as well to think more diligently about you know, how they want, you know, if that were them, would they want to be in facility with no visitors? And if I wanted to be at home longer, what does that look like? And who can support me in that? What does that look like? Well, that's, you know, the answer to that is a death doulas can be sort of an integrated piece in that team that supports you in staying at home longer. Right. Or in cases where I know quick recognition that, you know, these situations where family couldn't be in with their person who's in hospital, how are they getting information with respect to the care, your care wishes, right? What was exce- is acceptable or not acceptable to you with respect to heroics or what have you, inter medical intervention. Mm-hmm. And so calling people to give thought to what is my advanced care plan? I should think about this. What if this was me? And okay. so I think COVID again, you know, that's from a doula perspective, one of the blessings in that is it has sort of heightened some awareness, right? Around what are alternative options for us. You know, um, someone that we admire extremely and have such a high regard for in this death space is Barbara Cairns. And she reminds us all the time that, you know, death is not a medical event. It is a human experience. Mm -hmm. And we've become so used to accepting that death is a medical event because over all of these years, medical intervention has brought some great things to us in the way of cure and longevity of life in some cases but we've essentially turned that over so that it is now a medical event and it's not a human experience. And, you know, a hundred years ago, we this is what doulas are bringing back into the space now is what we were doing. Mm-hmm. It was our local community and often our women that were gathering around our sick and our dying and supporting them in, in local community from illness right through to death and beyond. Right. And so how do we get back to that so that we Aren't afraid and fearful and feel it has to be something that, a med- that medical professionals take care of when really our medical professionals, many of them in and of themselves, right, are not comfortable around the conversation of death. We're terrible at it. We're so bad.
1: Yes, you are. <laughs> <We're so bad. laughs> Generally speaking, right? Generally speaking, right?
0: There's not a lot um, of
1: end of life training, I don't think. There is and none.
0: No. Absolutely yes.
1: none. I told my doctor, my doctor I've had for over 20 years, so, you know, we know each other pretty well, uh, and I, I was explaining the, the role of the doula, and I said to him, how cool would it be if, if you had a patient come to you that had their medical directive done, their representation agreement, that knew exactly what they wanted, and that you didn't have that have to have that conversation with them, and he looked at me and he said, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And that's what we try and do. So they have those documents and that, you know, we can we can explain a little bit more about the, you know, the most the medical order for scope of treatment form, the expected death in the home form, you know, that what is a DNR that we can take that time with the people where the doctor has, you know, a limited space uh, that he can he can have those conversations with.
0: It, It is it's actually fascinating to me how uncomfortable how so many medical professionals that I, that I know and work with are with still talking about death, even though we deal with it directly all the time. When I was in my thirties, I did all of my appropriate, you know, estate planning documents and, and took my most to my physician and then had to fight with him. He's like, no, I I don't want you to have this, this, because I I chose to not have dressed. I don't, I don't want to be intubated. I don't want CPR. If I drop dead, leave me. And he was like, "Nope, that's not okay. You're only in your 30s." And I was like, "Nope, that is what I want. Take this piece of paper, please, and go." <laughs> you know, but um, but he he was so uncomfortable with that, he, uh, you know. And uh, it was it was interesting to observe because I'm like, "You work with this all the time, you know? Why is this such a point um, of contention for you? Why is this a a trigger? You know, if anybody should be able to talk about death, it should be healthcare professionals, and we're
1: awful at it." What? Well, when I asked my doctor about the most form, he told me to pick it up from his, his nurse on the way out, fill it out and bring it back.
0: Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and they're so confusing. They're so yeah. confusing.
1: I was, on, I was in conversation with
3: an ICU nurse earlier today who was talking about how they are encouraged to avoid the conversations around potential death of a patient, right, to mm-hmm. family members. So when family members ask you, you know is my person close to death here they they're encouraged to not speak the truth mm-hmm. they're not incur- they're not encouraged to lie don't mm-hmm. misunderstand that but they're encouraged to avoid answering the question yeah and so then we on the other side of that though is that then we're shocked when our person does die because nobody told
4: us mm-hmm. yeah
3: And so if we, if our healthcare professionals can be a little more comfortable in saying, you know, based on, right, experiences and what typically occurs here, there is this potential, at least then if I'm, if it's my person, I have an opportunity to make a decision about are there final things I feel I want to say, and now's the time I can't put it off anymore. Or is this the time I should, we should be gathering others, right, Mm -hmm. to come and be with them. But if we don't, have a comfort with speaking frankly and honestly about the outcomes, how can people get the due good death and fitting death opportunity that they so deserve, yeah. right? You know, we often see too, again, you know, our healthcare systems do some great work, but we also know that there's a lot of gaps in there, right? And so as a doula, we often say that you may have heard that analogy that professor uses about the rocks in the jar have you heard that at any point oh and then refilling with water yeah Yeah. right and so we use that same analogy except what we say is you know the large rocks are you and your people the things that matter most the next size rocks are your diagnosis and the next size rocks are your care um, or your care team and your treatments right Mm -hmm. and then the sand or the water that goes into the balance of that jar is the work of a doula So, you know, I've seen experiences where as a result of short, short resources, family has not had an expected death in the home form updated, Mm. right? So it has a lifespan of three months, right? This family was caring for their son in the home and they were five months in on an expected death in the home form. Mm. Okay. Like nobody had, nobody within the healthcare team had taken any initiative to ensure that that form was up to date. And that things were in order for this young man who was going to die, right, from cancer. and uh, But it was my involvement in asking and inquiring of the family that brought to light that this form was not current, right? Now, based on the circumstances, this could mean a horrific outcome if he were to have died without the form, right? Family doesn't have the energy, time, or diligence oftentimes to know what's needed. They trust their healthcare team is looking after them. Right, not always so. You know, it's um, and so it's how like when you're a caregiver or a family caregiver, however you define that family for yourself, you are so taxed and so exhausted, right? All your entire focus is on on uh, med management and taking care of your person. You can't navigate all of this stuff alone. If there are gaps,
0: well, and the thing do you is, is, you know, I mean, honestly. Uh, My experience in healthcare anyway, Um, I don't, I've never worked much in community. I've mostly worked acute care, but, you know, not only is there no uh, palliation, death conversation, education, or if there is, it's very spotty and minimal for healthcare workers in general, but also we have genuinely have no idea what resources are out there or what the rules are or how, you know, a, a dead or dying person, you know, moves through the system at the very end. Like once, once we get as far as like the morgue in the building, we're like, okay, well that's, that's as far as we go. Uh, so again, we're a terrible resource. We're, we're, we're not, we're not an adequate resource for these people. Um, there And there's so much information that they need, um, you know, in a timely and compassionate manner. And we simply are just not capable of providing it. And it's really sad.
3: Yeah. And I think it's both from a knowledge perspective and time and resource perspective, right? So, you know, again, earlier today, we were talking about a a circumstance where your person is in hospital and they die, right? What kind of guidance do we provide that family member or that friend with respect to what happens next? Mm. Right? And so oftentimes, but oftentimes what happens is the system and system protocols take over and there's this sense of rush, right? Rush to move you on so we can move the body on so we can do the things, Mm -hmm. right? But if that's been your husband of 40 years, and now you have to leave hospital and leave him there and really have no sense of what's happening next, that just makes a hard situation that much more difficult. But what protocols do we have in place to have a nurse or someone say to you, you know, when death occurs, this is what it's going to look like. And this is how we're going to take care of your person from here,
4: yeah. right?
3: We'll yeah. take yeah. care of their body. We'll, You know, he will get taken down to the market. He can stay there as long as you need him to stay there while you make arrangements about who's going to pick him up or where he's going to go or what have you. You know, like this. But there's none of that, right? Nope. None of them. Mm-hmm. And so this is where we can also help in relation to to filling some of those gaps and sharing information. Some of the work Joe and Joe and I do particularly is with expectations of what happens when the body's in that labor of of dying over mm-hmm. three or more months. Sharing with people specifically about the things that they can expect to see and be, and help them to be okay with that, such as no longer eating or drinking. Right? I mean, right, Joe? I mean, who hasn't heard? Right? He's not eating, and I'm trying to get. We're trying to get him to eat, and why isn't he eating? Well, there's a reason he's not eating.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's getting ready to go. Yeah, Yeah. And the more people understand about the dying process, the more comfortable they are when you start hearing what they call the death rattle Mm -hmm. and realizing that the person that's dying isn't in pain. It's just the body starting to shut down. Mm -hmm. So the more that we can help them understand the process of dying and what happens to the body or what can happen after death, the easier it is for them to kind of slide into the role of, okay, all right, I know what's happening. I have a better understanding of it. Maybe I can just be a little bit more comfortable with it.
4: Mm.
1: We're not trying to take jobs away mm-hmm. from the medical people. Oh that no. because a lot of a lot of times that's what we get. Really? Even hospice. Hospice. Mm-hmm. Right? Interesting to so, me. Uh, yeah. I we spoke to the the hospice and said, here's what we do. First words out of their mouth was, Well, that's what our volunteers do.
4: Hmm.
1: well, it is some of both Karen and I are hospice volunteers as well, right? It is some of what we do as a hospice volunteer, but there's different parameters the The boundaries around what the hospice volunteers can do are more restrictive to what a doula can do mm-hmm. so again, we're trying to augment the system that's in place. We're not taking the the we're not taking anybody's job away, we're trying to just fill the gaps, yeah. And and that's been a, a a uphill struggle trying to get that message across.
0: I mean, I, I I can see that. You know, again, this is the we don't talk about it, there's resistance, people don't understand, they don't know what's out there. So I can see the instinct to be like, Nope. But it is it's very unfortunate because you're right, there's huge gaps and and you know, your your general health practitioners just don't have the resources and the time to to give what what these, you know, individuals and and their loved ones deserve. And it's, it's sad. It's really unfortunate.
2: Yeah. That's something we've talked about before when again, uh, Amanda's in acute care and sometimes we've had conversations and, and even from her first conversation, like she was saying, having with her doctor about what her, what her, um, her, her plans were and passing on. I remember having those conversations years ago and my reaction being the same thing, be like, what, why would you give up? And what do you, And, you know, having just being on the outside or being on the inside, her saying, you know, a lot of people just don't, they're just uneducated. They just don't have the knowledge of knowing, you know, what resuscitation looks like for some people and how that's a huge, you know, they, they don't know what kind of recovery that gives to them and going in with something downhill anyway. So it's, it's, I, that's definitely sort of what we're trying to do is, is through this is sort of a little bit of education and knowledge Mm -hmm. because it is the thing that seems like people just don't want to talk about. And I can see how what you're doing is actually truly would make uh, things easier because a lot of people, if they don't have the, in the medical community, I mean, if they don't have the knowledge, they kind of walk away sometimes and just go, sorry, I, not my department. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and often I I've known people in that and there's sort of a lot of it is you know, being understaffed or just not having the, the knowledge and they feel terrible about it because they obviously don't want to say the right, wrong thing, whatever. But yeah, I think that's really. Uh, Imagine really too cool. that
3: the um, emotional weight or that gets carried with healthcare professionals. So like if you take, if I go back to this, the ICU nurse that I was talking with today, right? So one of the greatest things that's going on there all the time is, you know, uh, her estimation was about 50% of the patients that go through ICU die, mm-hmm. okay? 50%. So that means 50% of everybody that I have involvement with in my work dies. And I am not allowed to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not allowed to be honest with uh, patient families or patients' people about that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do, you know, whether we openly and consciously acknowledge it or not, we are carrying the weight of that. Mm-hmm. So our, our our healthcare professionals are carrying this weight that we're afraid to talk about, that we're afraid to open up and learn about, only out of fear. And yet certainly everything Joanne and I have seen in relation to the work that we've done with individuals and families and their people is that when we give information and we start having conversation right? That is what alleviates fear. Mm -hmm. You know, My dad, when I was very, very young, I can remember my dad holding me up at the window in the dark of night, the huge lightning storms, lightning and rain, and I was maybe four or five, right? Crying and afraid. And my dad held me up, opened up the curtains, and we looked out the window and watched this lightning and this pelting down rain. And my dad explained to me what was going on. Okay, I was just a young child, but just having some information made me feel more comfortable and less fearful. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We see it with our families that we work with. You know, their person, in the case of this young man I was talking of, right? His mom was primary caregiver, his stepfather, and and balance of his family so afraid of what was happening until they started getting real information that they could digest
4: mm-hmm.
3: and process, right? A little bit at a time. But then it, it, if if they have some awareness of what to expect and how what choices they can make around it, then we don't have to be so fearful. It doesn't feel like it's happening to us. It feels like, right, we're, we have some opportunity to take some control and to do some things, take some action. Makes a huge difference in outcomes for everybody. Oh, I mean, undoubtedly, I, I I am a firm believer
0: that you know it's sometimes it's hard to face the truth, but having the truth, whatever it is, in any situation is always ultimately the best way to go. You know, working working with with a base of solid knowledge is always going to give you the best outcome, even if that outcome is awful. Mm-hmm. How do you find it? I, I, I would guess, and I'm totally presuming here, but I would guess that there's not always a meeting of the minds between, say, the individuals who contract your services and other people in their lives. How, how do you find that? And how do you navigate that?
1: Our focus is on our client, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we determine what they want. Ask them one of, the be- one of the best things we can do is how do you want your end of life to look? Mm-hmm. What, what do you want that to look like? and and take a look at where we are currently and, and see what we can do to get them there. It's all about the person that's dying. So when the family doesn't agree, well, that's where we come in and we'll kind of help facilitate that that uncomfortable conversation by being an advocate and support for the dying person.
0: Mm-hmm. So coming
1: back to my friend Jan who who died, when she found out about the medical assistance in dying, she said, that's what I want. The chemo is just going to keep me alive a couple months. Here's what's going to happen I lose my hair, I'm going to be sick, blah, 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 blah. So she made up her mind that that's what she wanted to do. I was fortunate enough to be present when she broke the news to her family. And it was an uncomfortable situation. But, you know, we kept saying this is what she wants. This is so important that she is able to end her life on her own terms. And there was a lot of discussion around it, but in the end, the family understood. And then afterwards, and we were still in, connect, in connection with the family afterwards, and and they became more comfortable with how the process unfolded. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Other I have a fun. friend who's uh, who's a doula, and she told this story that I just, it blows my mind. And she before she went in to see the client, the family gathers around and talks to her and they, you know, tell her a little bit about what, what's going on with mom. And they say to my friend, she's dying, but she doesn't know. So don't say anything. <laughs> All right. So the doula goes in, meets the mom and chats away. And the mom says to my friend, I'm dying. My family doesn't know. So don't tell them. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> goodness.
2: That's funny. <laughs>
1: comedy of
0: errors I can I can see that happening
2: yeah that's that's really interesting
0: so do you generally find then that when there is that resistance or fear that you've been successful at sort of you know bringing people around you know into a a gentler more open approach to things
3: I I think you have to ask yourself what's your definition of success Mm -hmm. so to me uh, the definition of success, and I use these words in my conversations with both the person and their people, is that is that we're at a place that is better than it was. Mm-hmm. Are we at a place that's better than it was, right? So maybe you don't hundred percent agree with the choice that you know your mom's making about normal treatment, right? But if've been in a, if we've been able to help navigate and mediate some open conversation, right? About why this choice is being made, the belief systems in behind it. And we've been able to engage in some constructive conversation together, even if we don't 100% agree, we're in a better place than we were before the conversation. Mm -hmm. So if we're in a better place than we were before the conversation, then it's that there's some success in that. Yeah. Right? That's my belief. anyways, And that's the approach that I take with my clients, right? Mm -hmm. The best outcome would be this. But even if we get closer to that, it's better than we were, than where we were. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think oftentimes, you know, and I think, you know, Joe can talk about experiences of this as well, too. What happens is the person at the center, the person who's facing their their um, death, oftentimes gets bombarded with, you should be doing this, you could be doing that, why aren't we doing this, right? Blah, blah, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you? And as, and so you know even in our healthiest we hate being told what to do right like who likes that mm-hmm. right and so how do we how do we help their people the family or the friends to change their language and approach how do we help them to recognize that their role is to support from a place of love and mm-hmm. dignity for their person and recognize that it's the person's journey not theirs right like how do they how do what do we need to do to get them closer to that, right? Um, from the perspective of if, you know, this is the last gift that you can give your mom who's dying, wouldn't you want to be seen to be in support of her wishes as best as possible?
4: Hmm.
1: We'd right. like to remind them about quality of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mom's lying in bed you know, she's intubated or whatever, what kind of quality of life is that she deserves better? And here's what she wants. Over quantity, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or yeah, over quantity. And so for the family that has to see the, the their loved one lying in the state of not being able to do anything. And for them to go and see that person day after day, it's hard on everybody. It's hard on the caregivers. It's hard on the families. You know, we just have to remind them that quality of life is more important than keeping them alive as long as they can.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dep- dependent on how they define that, right? And, yeah. and recognizing mm-hmm. that, you know, my quality of life and how I define that could be significantly different from my husband of yeah. 40 years or my children. And that's okay, mm-hmm. right? It's okay because it's my choice. Mm-hmm. It's my life. It's not yours. Right. And yeah. so how do we support that as best as possible in a way that that, you know, what what do we need to do around our care and needs and, and to enable us to be able to support that in our mom or our spouse or our friend or whomever? Right. That's such what, a powerful
0: position to uh, to take, too, because I feel. Like listening to you describe it in relation to death, I feel like that's honestly a lesson that we could all stand to learn just across the board Mm -hmm. that, you know, people have their own path and that's okay because we do, we take on so much stress and anxiety and angst and anger and frustration and just energy spent thinking about what other people should be doing Mm -hmm. for themselves Um, that, you know, it's, it just, it, it, it hurts us too, (laughs) You know, not only the the people that were maybe not as present for as we could be, as supportive as we would like to be, you know, in our in our best form. Um, so it's 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 interesting how like what a broad concept that is, even though it's so directly applicable here.
2: Yeah, and I might add for that too, because what I was th- thinking is that it's it's interesting hearing you say that. I wonder how much you see as people that are just peripherally affected by your clients and, uh, that you're, you know, cause they might go into it going, no, I don't want this for my parents. And then eventually kind of coming around to being like, well, that's, that's almost their clinging to life too, clinging to not changing because they, they, I mean, would look at it and be like, no, I have to respect these people's wishes. Cause you know, we see that all the time. I, I know for my first sort of, ex, uh, experience with death was with like, you know, having a dog and it, you know, I had a very good vet that was like, we can fix this dog, but what's the quality of life, you know? And that's one thing that really made me think often to be like, Oh yeah, that's, you know, they're like, this dog's never going to run again. He's never going to do this thing. And so, you know, and then sort of made me think about it, be like, I'm doing this all for me. I'm doing, I don't want to experience this. I, you know, the clinging to life to having to deal with sadness, having to, and I know that's obviously, I think the reaction you get, I'm sure you get from family members too. It's the initial sort of, it's like the the stages of acceptance and grief and those things, but i I mean that it was that's how I got the lesson from from like I say with a dog but uh, I, I was gonna my question basically was how much have you seen growth in the people around uh, your clients too like is that something that you see often
1: I think once they have a better understanding of what their person wants and how their quality of life can deteriorate and ca- and and hold them captive in their own body sometimes mm-hmm. so i had a client who had als severe advanced als and he was suffocating and mm-hmm. his wife wanted him to live as long as possible mm-hmm. and he was he was declining rapidly so um i was brought in by a mutual friend of ours and and she you know she reiterated to the wife he suffered he's suffocating can you not understand that? And once you know that that conversation led to other conversations, and um, the wife finally went, "I did. I never. It never occurred to me that he was suffering so badly because mm. I was stuck in my place of I want to keep him as long as I can." Mm-hmm. But once she realized what he was going through, she said, "Okay, it's time to." He wanted to go medically assisted, and she finally agreed. Mm-hmm. You no. Know? But it takes those conversations Mm -hmm. and that courage to keep talking about it in little bits. Yeah. And sometimes if you have to relate it to an animal, I know it's not the right thing. But again, coming back to my friend that went medically assisted, her son just couldn't get it through his head. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've known the family long enough and I was tired enough that I finally turned to the boy and I said, remember your dogs that you had put down because they were old and they were sick? He goes, yeah. I said, that's what your mom wants. And he looked at me and Mm. I could see the light went off in his head. And he went, now I get it. Now Mm. I understand because we don't want her to suffer, right? Right. And I said, yeah, we don't want her to suffer. And, Mm. you know, I wouldn't put it that bluntly. Well, I might not put it that bluntly with a lot of people. (laughs) No, but on the other side of it, when you relate it to that, we don't let our animals suffer. Why do we let our people?
2: And dogs, yeah, and yeah, and I was going to say dogs can't tell you, they kind of almost put just like a, a loved one would, they put the trust on you to be like, Hey, I can't do this thing. You've got to help me out with this. Cause obviously, like you say, you're the person with ALS. Uh, they, they can't say it at the time and you, right. yeah, sorry to cut you off there. Sorry. Oh,
3: no, that's what I was just going to say, you know, it's a, as Joanne talks about how, how she sort of stated that fact for this young man right one of the key things as a jeweler that can that leads to you being effective in this work is the ability to assess and determine right where people are at and Mm. meet them where they are at right both the person at the center and their people with and then how to navigate those conversations in ways that are impactful for them Mm. because every individual even within a family unit is different right and and needs a different approach so as a jeweler you have to have really strong communication skills. You have to have really strong awareness with respect to personal styles and be able to pick up on that so that you can meet people in ways that they can receive the information that you're sharing with them. That really, you know, in our intention always is to help to make it as easy as it possibly can be in a difficult situation and circumstance for everybody that's involved, right? And another part of that communication work that we do is sometimes around relationships, right? So, fragmented or estranged relationships. And, you know, people that are sitting on their deathbed are looking at all those things that all of a sudden now we're on the fast track to try and resolve, right? Not necessarily fix or change, but how do I get resolved in an estranged relationship? What do we do, right? How, how can I make that better? And a lot of the work, Joanne and I do around that comes in actually utilizing some of the willow end of life tools to help people around those relationships. So as an example, I have um, a client that I was working with who was estranged from her two daughters, and we did some work around how, we could, how, how she could communicate her heart's intent with respect to those relationships. And uh, she did some work around those things and, and wrote letters and sent them off with no expectation of outcome. Right. But there's now engagement with the daughters mm-hmm. in these last months of life. Right. Well, that to me is like, again, right. We're better. She's in a better place than she was before. Right. Better place than she was before. So how do we help them? How do we how do we help the individuals to recognize they have a, a, some control or some say over what's going on? How do we help to soften all of the relationships so that we can recognize everybody in the mix? is in pain and is in suffering and in grief, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, Joe says all the time, grief happens the moment of diagnosis, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? It happens then. And so, and everybody carries that grief from their perspective, right? Whether it's my mom in the center who has the diagnosis, she's carrying grief from her perspective, I'm carrying it as a daughter, in view of my mom being ill, or my mom deteriorating, right? It, it, it's, it, but it's different viewpoints. And it's, we still call it grief and fear and all of those things. But it, it's different, it's coming from a different angle. So how do we, how do we help to soften that, and enable them to navigate systems in a way that is meaningful and not frustrating. So I, you know, a few times I've heard family members say, you know, I feel like we're the enemy. I'm trying to advocate for my person here, but I feel like we're the enemy with respect to the healthcare team. Mm -hmm. Who should feel that way? Nobody should feel that way when you're advocating for somebody you love with respect to the care that they need and deserve. Shouldn't be like that, right? No, no, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So if you could get ahead of the eight ball if you had some magical ability to help people start having conversations about death before it was smashing them in the face do you have are there specific questions that you think people should you know consider um, conversation starters that you use in your education or your public speaking work that that you know you'd like to put out there into the universe for people to to ponder
1: I'm afraid to put stuff out to the universe sometimes because it actually happens. That's, that's, <laughs> and, and that's it, what we're looking for. Smokers.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so i got to let Karen talk to that one. <laughs> 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 oh, oh. Under
3: the bus you go. <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of things that we do. In workshops, what we encourage people is, you know, when you leave this workshop today and you sit down across the table from... Your person or people that matter to you, right? A great opener is hey, you know what? I just participated in this workshop that talked about death and dying, and it got me thinking, here's some things that I think I would really like that would be really important for me at my end of life, right? So you crack it open from the perspective of a third party experience and bringing it in. Mm-hmm. Another thing we encourage people to use all the time is, you know, have some fun with this. So I'm going to share this. You usually do just oh, everything like I talked about earlier. So, you know, not oh, there we go. Yeah, oh, the there death deck. So... Don't know if you know of that. Um so it's a great conversation game. It opens Oh, sorry. Are we okay now?
2: Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it chopped up. You were holding up sorry and, and it came okay. over the top yeah, of the window. So this, this is, the, this, the... is a this is a convers this is a death, death deck? Yeah.
3: yeah, a oh. death conversation game called the Death Deck. You can play it with your family, your friends, whomever. I know of someone actually who invited 12 people over for dinner. And the requirement was that in order for them to eat dinner, they had to play the game. And so, (laughs) yeah, but it's a great fun way actually to open up some of the conversation, right? It's lighthearted. There's humor in it, but it just sort of cracks things open. In my coaching practice, you know, when people come to me for the first time just in my coaching practice, you now one of the first things I do with them on that first meeting is um, is oftentimes a, I want you to close your eyes and envision you sitting on your deathbed. How do you feel about everything that's occurred for you in your life to this point and where you think you want to go? And so, you know, that's a catalyst to... Um, a lot of what we choose in going forward if we don't stop and look. So you, I could have someone come to me and say, you know, I've been an accountant for whatever, 15 years, let's say, and now I want, I've want, i decided I want to be a dental assistant or I want to be an insurance professional. Who would want that? I don't know, but, you know, maybe that's their decision. And, um, <laughs> and uh, right? And yet what we realized through this visualization though is that they really are just moving away from the career they have. They don't really want to be a dental Assistant or an insurance professional, they actually want something completely different. But until they take a look at what the who and what matters most on that deathbed and how they're feeling about how they've lived so far, they don't recognize it. Right. I think it should be a standard part of our conversations from the perspective of our healthcare professionals. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if our healthcare professionals from the time that somebody became an adult would say, like, I wish a doctor said to my son at the age of 19, right? Nick, you're 19. How do you want things to look for yourself, you know, with respect to end of life? We don't anticipate that you're going to die for a very, very long time. But if something were to occur, right, because you are 19 and you're adventurous and you're what have you, what would you want it to look like for yourself? Even if he put nothing to paper, but he gave thought about it and went home and started having conversations with people. How cool would that be? That'd be pretty awesome, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All of it really, to me, would bring us to a place where we're just living a little more real with our people. Right? Mm-hmm. We're resolving issues from a place of love and intention versus fear and frustration and angst and expectation. Right?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know if that even answered the question.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That
1: was a that was a very eloquent answer. <laughs> Thank One you. One of the questions I like to ask the people is what brings you joy? Yes. What makes you happy? Right? Yeah. So there's there's a story where um talking about an advanced care plan. And and the fella said, I want to be able to bounce my grandbaby on my knee. I want to have ice cream, watch football and be able to dance. So if I can't do those things, then it, you know, life has no meaning to me. Mm-hmm. And at the end of his life, there was an opportunity for him to have a surgery. And the kid said, can he bounce his baby on on the knee? Can he dance? Can he watch football, eat ice cream after the surgery? Doctor said, yes, he can. They said, great, let's do it. Had the doctor said no, then they would have said, well, this is not what he wanted. And so we're not going to proceed. It can be simple, just like that. But how fantastic to have that benchmark
0: to play off of. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, your advanced care plan, you can change that as often as you need to do. Once you get just something down on paper, just something. You can add to it and and work with it, right? As as circumstances change.
2: I can speak for someone that doesn't have an end of care end of life care plan or will or anything. I'm kind of behind the eight ball here. But I can say even just one day talking to Amanda about it as a my friend and we we a couple of weeks ago were were talking about this while we were camping and, and I said, uh, you know, this is what I'd like to do and even just not or like, you know, I, I, again, I don't have these things legally put down, but even just saying it out loud, I was like, yeah. And having someone else know it, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it like, it's oddly, uh, for anyone listening, it, it's, it's, you wouldn't think, but it actually makes you feel better. Cause you're like, Oh, this is, it's, you know, it's uh turning the light in the darkness sort of thing. You know, you'd be like, don't be afraid of what you think is in the closet or whatever. And, but, uh, I think
3: that talking about it is a really important point Yeah, because as well, you know, you can, there's no sense doing all of this in the back room and putting it on paper and not having conversations because people won't know how to, how to enact that if they don't understand what's behind your, your choices in those things and having the conversation, that's where the magic happens and the awareness and the support comes. Right. If I understand what's behind the decision on the paper, it's way easier for me to say Mm -hmm right? Joanne wants this. And I know this to be true, Mm -hmm. because, right?
1: Those Uh, conversations.
3: Yeah, because there's been the conversation, right? So and we say all the time, you know, something is better than nothing. So start with something. Great that you've had the conversation. The next thing you need to do is get a will. I'm, I'm on it we'll get there <laughs> just saying <laughs> uh, sorry it's not that but you know us like to show up you're gonna hear that so <laughs> that's all right yeah. thank you for being brave enough to tell us so. yeah well like i say this is
2: this is why we have the uh this is sort of our dynamic is that uh you know like i say tell me what a doula is and what's a will and these things because i'm <laughs> i'm the guy that can be the everyday person that can uh has a brain, but sometimes just doesn't use it, I suppose. So, I mean, but, the other yeah. thing
3: we say all the time too is, you know, wherever you're at on the spectrum of this work or giving consideration to these things, it's okay because mm-hmm. you're here today. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, absolutely.
3: Right. You're here today engaging in the conversation or here today because you want to learn more. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, we don't get anywhere without that first step.
2: Right. Yeah. So no, absolutely. You know. So
0: for yourselves, I mean, this is, you know, I think for both of you, been a relatively recent evolution into this sort of area of focus. So how has doing this work changed your perceptions around life and dying and processes and, and that
1: sort of thing? Well, for me, it's, it's, I'm not afraid to die anymore. I used to be, you know, it used to scare me about what's going to happen. Uh, what's that going to look like? What am I my family and friends that are left behind, what are they going to do? All of that kind of stuff. But I've had an, a, a lot of conversation around that. And I know that they're going to be okay. And, you know, and and they understand what I want. And when the time comes that I'm not able to do, you know, some, you know, have some fun and be able to talk and laugh. And, and you know, it's time for me to go and it's okay. Just let me go. Because... My body might be gone, but I'm still going to be around.
3: <laughs> I think I think that that's one thing, that you can't be in this work without living the work, right, in your lives. And if you are, then you're not showing up in the work authentically. And so, you know, I think, you know, in my own personal circumstances, I I um, I live with a husband who has a chronic illness. And so, you know, this is very real for us on the day to day. And, um, you know, the work in a lot of ways has been the work that I do for others is actually very, very therapeutic and helpful for me in being reminded of how to navigate this space and time that we live in together, my husband and I. And so that's great. I think that's fabulous. Right. And then same as Joanne talks about. Right. There's been a lot of conversations on both sides of the equations about each of us. And outcomes, and with our children, so they know, right? I mean, you know, I don't want to die tomorrow, but I certainly wouldn't be afraid of it if it happened. Mm-hmm. And it's because of this consciousness that we bring, right?
2: Yes, yeah.
3: And 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 seeing too, you know, um, you know, we in this work, you get the privilege of being witness to transformation that can happen for individual and their people in final months or what have you, and you know, to be witness to that and see how things can change for people and how really uh, sad uh, circumstances and how heartbreaking it can be can still be beautiful experiences mm-hmm. right it's a privilege mm-hmm. to be a witness to that and walk with individuals on that journey in that way and That's i think I'm it's here right
1: and i think it's it would be very difficult for us as as death doulas to help somebody through the the process if we ourselves aren't comfortable with death and dying, mm. mm-hmm. right? So we have to be able to step into it and and be present fully and supportive and not be afraid of well, I, I, what am I going to say or how, you know, how is that going to be received or, or that? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. When we have, um, and so I like to share this story, and Joanne's probably heard it way too many times now, but, you know, when, when, you can be standing at the graveside with a mom who's lost her 30-year-old son to cancer, who is broken more than you can imagine, right? Who turns to you as the doula and says, I would have not had the capacity to stand here today if it were not for you. Mm. Right?
2: Mm. That's rewarding. Yeah. An honor.
3: This is the magic of, mm-hmm. that that we don't bring it,
2: right? right? We just
3: It's just like with the network, right? So we say with the network, we, provide this container for people to build relationship and community to connect in the death caring community, right. So that they can learn and grow and support each other and change the world overall with respect to our acceptance on death and dying. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the same as when we show up in this space to support individual and their families, right. We don't bring the magic. We're just a catalyst to help them to discover it themselves.
4: Yeah.
0: But you know, the the concept of holding space for people is, I think massively underrated and it's, it's so vital and it ties right back into that, that idea of people's path is their own and you just have to, you know, be able and willing to consciously support them in that, which is such a beautiful thing. I I think the work that you do is, is incredible and, Mm -hmm. you know, remarkable. Just, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, Are you, are you, I mean, you did just give us one example. Are you, do you have memories of of particular death experiences that you found to be, you know, remarkably unique or impactful um, in the way that they played out for the individual and or their loved ones?
1: You know, I'm going to, I'm going to draw from my own personal experience. My mom uh, passed away in 2014 and uh, she chose to stop dialysis so Once she made that decision, the doctor said to us, probably got anywhere between seven to 10 days. And um, at that time, I had no idea about any of this end-of-life stuff, didn't know what palliative care or hospice was. And we are down. My mom was in Toronto at the time, and she was put on a ward. And she developed, not because of the ward, but because of her condition, she developed a secondary infection that... Uh, when she was touched, it was extremely painful and because she was on a ward the uh the nurse kept saying, "I have to take her vitals because that's the that's the protocol and Of course, every time they touched her, I was down the hall. I was two hundred feet away, and I could hear my mother screaming because they had to move her, they had to take her temperature. So take that. And so for 10 days, my sister and I were at the hospital constantly with mom as she's declining, watching this, listening to this. Uh, I finally said to the head nurse that we either need to get my mom a palliative bed or I'm taking her home. And the nurse said to me, but that's going to kill her. Of course, I said, well, (laughs) right, you're killing her here. At least I can take better care of her at home because I don't have these protocols that need to be adhered to. Gee, Mm. all of a sudden she's put in a palliative bed. So one of the worst experiences of my entire life was watching my mom go through that. Mm. Fast forward to 2018 with my buddy that chose to go medically assisted. Now um, I was there, there, uh, there was 14 of us in her bedroom before she died. We all got a chance to talk to her. We sang some songs, we laughed, we cried. We were there when the procedure was performed. We were there when she died. That, in my opinion, was one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed in my life. And I'd like to, if I can take somebody's experience from what my mom went through and even move it anywhere closer to what my friend went through, then I'll be a happy girl.
0: What a what a what a, just a position for yourself to have experienced both of those events. Mm-hmm. That's uh...
1: it. It's helped me, right? It's yeah. it's helped me immensely on this whole journey because I know what I don't want. Absolutely. I don't right. want to have to see anybody suffer like that. People don't deserve that, and I kept saying that to my mom. You don't deserve this. Yeah. Yeah. So,
3: yeah. I think I think the beauty in those outcomes, you know, those better outcomes, those more fitting outcomes, those good death outcomes, is that those that survive, those that are left behind, have a greater opportunity to have more peace in their grief.
5: Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Right? Versus the guilt and the self-doubt and the questioning that comes in those not-so-good experiences. What else Mm -hmm. could I have done? What should I have done? Why didn't I? Was that the right decision? Right? These are the things that just compound
2: well, and like something we've talked about before again, is that often these decisions and things have to be made and not planned under duress too. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just, that's where you get that. I'm sure the people self doubt and well, maybe I should have done this better. And, you know, most people, if you're in the hospital and making decision, it's not because you were, you know, had an appointment there, you know? It's, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but,
1: yeah absolutely. I think it's wonderful, Amanda and Andrew, that you are doing these kind of podcasts because the more people that are out there talking about death and dying, getting you know, the word out that it's not a big scary thing, let's work mm-hmm. together. And you know the more people that hear that, hopefully the more that are going to start making their plans and, and just talking about it and having mm-hmm. these uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, very, that's very much our hope.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's and I mean it's really interesting hearing you talk about at the beginning about how, you know, you look at oh shoot, COVID has really thrown a wrench in things, but it's actually been such a catalyst for things and we we feel the same way for us we we sort of had uh you know, just with the the things we had in our life and how it's these opportunities and even just us getting back to be able to do this and and have guests like yourself where we are we are forever thankful too. So Zoom's kind of one of those things that came out of COVID, but also mm-hmm. makes it so you know, we can just connect with, with, uh, and, you know, like you said, putting that stuff out in the universe, you're right. It is scary how it comes back, but in the best way too. So, but
1: I believe, I truly believe that out of every bad comes a good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oftentimes it's very difficult for us to see that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm realizing now that things that happened to me in my past, are actually having a direct positive impact on right. what I'm doing right now, yeah it's mm-hmm. taken a long time, yeah, but you know
2: yeah. yeah, we have that conversation often where we go those things were like, man, those oh that oh that thing, and then we go we we have a spot where we go, are are you happy today? and then we go, yeah, we're having I'm having a great day, and then you go, well, it's because of that thing that happened to you or like you know you're you're here today because of those things, and you sort of learn to like I guess, live with like compassion for them and to be like, oh, that was for me, not to me, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 So
1: it's huge. Right. The, the, the language around that is huge. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I'm not dying of cancer. I'm living with it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Whole different perspective. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We forget how powerful words are. We do. We just take them for granted. We do. Yeah. Yeah. We have covered so much ground. I am I'm so thankful for this mm-hmm. conversation and your time. I do have one more question I would like to pose to you. However, before I go with that, are there any specific points that you ladies wanted to cover? Are, do you have any other questions, Andrew?
2: I had one more question because, uh, I, again, I, my, my uh, background is I'm actually, I'm a comedian is what I do. And so I sort of try to provide levity, not always uh, appropriate to try to make a joke. But I, one thing I thought of, too, was like, have you ever, what has someone had with a, a death experience or death plan? Uh, what's the most, I guess, like fun you've seen someone have, if, if possible, if you've thought of that?
1: You know, I did a, a celebration of life a couple of years ago for a gentleman that was in his early 40s that died. And he was a, a friend of mine's brother.
4: Mm.
1: And so it was really interesting because I got contacted. My friend called me up and said, we need help writing an obituary. Can you come and help? I go, yeah, oh, sure. Right. So I'm sitting down at the table with my friend uh, the sister and the wife of the deceased gentleman, okay. and were chatting away, and one thing led to another. And so my buddy says, "Yeah, my mom's hired this officiant to come and do the celebration for my brother," and she started to well up. And I said, "What's going on?" She goes, "The lady doesn't. She's never met him. Oh. How is she going to talk about, you yes, know, yeah. my brother? And she doesn't know that, you know, my my sister-in-law, my brother came to my house here, and they had the wedding in the backyard." And she doesn't know any of this, and she's telling me this story. So all of a sudden, I looked at both the sister and and the wife, and I said, so why don't we have the funeral? Why don't we have the celebration of life in your backyard where they got married? Mm. And, you know, they both looked at each other and went, okay. And then so my buddy says, but here's, here's the thing. My brother always said to me, Put my ashes in a Tim Hortons coffee can. (laughs) This guy was over six feet tall,
4: right? He was a big
1: boy. But we got his ashes inside the coffee can. It took a bit. Right. And so in the celebration of life, we put the ashes on the table with mm. a note, you yeah. know, so nobody didn't think it was coffee. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and she carries She actually carries them around. She did uh, one of these seven o'clock, let's go swim in the lake thing. Mm. And she said, and I took my brother with me. I oh, sat him on the, the beach. <laughs> That's
2: great. Yeah. That's and, you
1: know, her mom, her mom still says to me, that was the best celebration we could ever mm. have because. We had some laughs mm-hmm. and we had some cries and we had some great memories. So that, you know, that, the happy ending kind of
2: thing. Yeah. 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 Well, and urns don't come with anything in them. Tim Horton's coffee tin, at least you get to drink the coffee first too. Right. right? So, but, <laughs> Good uh, Bonus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so. yeah, Exactly. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: How about yourself? Do you have any that particularly stand out for you, Karen?
3: Nothing in particular. No. <laughs> That's fair.
0: No. Okay, so my final question that I like to always wrap up with, and you, you ladies have, have addressed this a little bit um, already, but maybe we could just be a bit more specific about it if you're willing. When someone says a good death,
3: what does that mean to you?
1: Well, good. go ahead,
3: Karen. <laughs> uh,
4: uh,
3: to me, when someone says a good death, it's a death that's in line with your beliefs and wishes. That as much as possible is about what of what and who matters most to you and what you believe you want for yourself. Now, the truth is is that oftentimes it can't be perfect, but we can get close to that, right? Yeah. So, you know, a good death for me or a fitting death for me may not well be anywhere near what a fitting death for you, Amanda, might be, right? But it's still a good death yeah. if it aligns with our wishes and our desires and our beliefs.
1: And you know, I, I, for me, I would like to have a celebration of life while I'm still here. Mm -hmm. I want to have all my people around. I want, you know, we do that for when you retire or when somebody dies, right? Everybody gets together. I want to be there. I even said to my son, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have a big sign that says, let her RIP. Let her rip. (laughs) Off into the sunset. I love that.
2: (laughs) That's
0: wonderful.
1: Phenomenal. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think your, I think yours is going to be the fun one. That's the question I was looking for. So that sounds like that's, <laughs> that, that's actually, the answer. So <laughs> Joanne actually is the clown, right? So
3: yeah. just so you know, she's a trained clown. I don't oh, know if you're aware of that or amazing.
1: not. I'm a, I'm a therapy clown, yeah. So oh my God, I, I totally used to do that. They used to do you that do? too. <laughs> <laughs> did you do that with um, the Kalamalka Caring Clowns? I did, yeah. Yeah, Like yeah. so I'm, I'm part of them and I'm part of the uh, Central Okanagan Coco. Central Okanagan, carrying Clowns. Is oh, what that's they- amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, mine was 100,000 years ago um, before I took off for school to become a nurse. But it was, it was a very cool couple of years before I <laughs> didn't have time for in my
1: life anymore. <laughs> you know what? If we can smile, if we can laugh Ooh. around these topics of death and dying.
2: Yeah.
1: How great is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have these conversations, these workshops where people are crying, they get into their heart center, and at some point, there's fun happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? And I think that
3: that's the balance in life, right? It's about the end. It's not about either or, right? When somebody dies, there's been joy and happiness and fun and laughter in that life as well, right? Mm -hmm. It's about the end, and we need to get better at the end as opposed to thinking it has to be just one way or another, right? The end, the end yeah.
4: is what the life is,
1: right? It's all it's all, dash, right?
4: Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yes. We
1: have a birth date, we have a death date. And in between is that dash. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And,
2: you
1: know, it's all the
3: messy in between. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. But I always say, I mean, as a comedian, my, my thing, and i have so this is one of the things we've talked about is that it's, I'm we're always looking for the perfect crowd and, I think the perfect and and the perfect crowd is dying people because you can't offend them. They've accepted where they are and they want to laugh and comedians want to be able to have someone that's in the moment accepting things. And it's, and so that's sort of one of the things we've talked about doing one day. And it's sort of one of my goals to be like, that is the perfect crowd is to do something where you can, you know, and, and, and also people that are dying can, can accept that but they don't want to be reminded of that every day and people want to laugh you know and so that's sort of one of my weird goals i, I don't want to i don't want to kill someone with laughter but i would love to be able to you know so but uh and so here,
3: here's the irony in that andrew and that you know the reality is is that we're all dying
2: i know yes exactly right. yeah. <laughs> yeah no you're right yeah so you know, what, i'm just so saying so get too. the people to admit it so yeah exactly
1: <laughs> right but, you know, our society, we're so deaf phobic and especially with mm-hmm. men, a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, males are brought up. You have to be tough. You're not allowed to cry. You have to mm-hmm. show strength. Andrew, I'm sure you can appreciate this. If you're in front of an audience or you are given a eulogy or you're doing a stand up and people are laughing to the point of tears. Yes. Right. They're still able to release that grief. Yep. Without embarrassment. Yeah.
2: hundred percent. Yeah. right,
1: so there's there's certain times I get it, you know I, I try and be as respectful as as possible, sometimes it works and sometimes not so much.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, <laughs>
1: but you know that gives them a, that gives them permission to let the tears flow mm-hmm. under the guise of laughter, yeah,
2: and yeah. they're
1: still able to get rid of some of those feelings, yeah, how cool is that
2: That's really yeah, absolutely
4: yeah
0: Thank you so much. this mm-hmm. has been. So delightful. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you made the time for this. This has been a yeah, phenomenal conversation. Uh, where can people find you on the World Wide Web if they're looking for more information about yourselves or your
3: services or the network?
1: Can I do the commercials here, Karen? Oh, sure.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> the Death Duel Network of BC can be found at www.ddnbc.com. That's the Death Duel Network of BC. Uh, I also have my own business called Take the Journey, but that can be found at KarenHendrickson.ca. And Joanne has her own business called End of Life Alternatives, which is at EOLA.ca. Right, Jo?
1: Yes, you did good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
3: So we, we are uh, so grateful for the opportunity to have been in this conversation with both of you today. We can't tell you how much our hearts fill up when we get invited to engage in these conversations. It is our mission and our passion to change the world one conversation at a time uh, with respect to death and dying and our acceptance of that as a part of life. And so we are so grateful. I have no energy. doubt that you will. Your yeah. passion shines clear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and you know, we'd sure be interested in doing some more work with you if you're interested or talking to you again. Absolutely. You no, know, it, takes, it takes a village. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It takes a village.
0: Yeah. No, that would be, that would be amazing. I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm definitely going to make connections through doing these podcasts with all yeah. sorts of interesting people that I'm going to want to keep coming back to. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Okay. And we, we, we would love to have you as a repeat guest. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, I think that we are just about perfectly on time. Have a wonderful evening and yeah. I will be in touch again. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider liking or subscribing on your chosen podcast player, following us on Instagram at TMTDPod, or telling a friend to check us out.